Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Australian Bitcoin podcast. I'm Justin, your host for this episode. At the time of recording, the Bitcoin block height is currently at 723,332, and the Bitcoin price in Australian dollars is 60,500. Today's episode will focus on an introduction to myself and two guests who will appear at least semi-regularly in future episodes, and we'll all give our best answer to the seemingly simple question of what is Bitcoin? And so I'm joined today by Daniel and Jeremy from hardlock.com.au, Australia's first and oldest Bitcoin-only exchange. Could you both just introduce yourselves briefly, giving a bit of a professional background and your role at Hardlock? Jeremy, if you could go first. Sure. Um, so I studied mechanical engineering at um, in Melbourne and, and commerce, and I really wanted to get into the car industry, which I did for a little bit, but I could see it wasn't going to be something that was going to last a long time. And, and bearing in mind, this is nearly 20 years ago. Um, and so I ended up in the supply chain industry for about eight years, which was which was really good until I got into more senior roles. And I found the politics was just um, just really not enjoyable. Um, as it happened, I ended up moving to Adelaide for personal reasons and um, I've had a few jobs here to fit in with family. But again, I kind of ran into that issue of, of politics and going to a lot of meetings and really not achieving anything. Um, and around the same time, I got into Bitcoin <clears throat> and joined the Bitcoin meetup in Adelaide. And that's where I met Daniel. And he happened to be looking for a product manager part time. And I was looking for part time work. And I'd been working on a pretty large IT project. So I thought it was a perfect fit. So I'm now working at Hardblock um, as the product manager. And I've kind of throughout my career have I've been I consider myself like a translator, like I translate technical stuff into something simple um, from different groups of people. And I say that, you know, that's my role now to try and make the website as simple as possible and as easy to use as possible. So that's kind of how I ended up here. Makes a lot of sense. It sounds like you've got a lot of useful background and skills that, that help to yeah, make a technical thing a little bit less technical and, and deliverable. How about yourself, yeah, that, Daniel? So I come from, I've I done engineering and economics in university, computer systems, engineering, and economics. And, you know, in my life, I never thought, I always had an interest in um, things like economics, uh, politics, history, but also I was decent at maths and engineering. And um, I never kind of thought that there was a possibility where these things, engineering and history would match. But... Uh, when I found out about Bitcoin, um, this was kind of the, this was the area where they did come together, all these fields. So I thought it was this was the perfect thing for me uh, to get into. And so I found out about, I got into Bitcoin towards the end of 2013. It was a big bubble event towards the end of 2013, where it was rising from... Two hundred dollars to it went to over a thousand US dollars, and I remember researching it, like how to buy Bitcoin, where to buy it. And as I'm researching it, like each week it's doubling in price. Yeah, <laughs> um, as it does. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I researched it. I bought Bitcoin, and um, I just decided this is the area for me. I, I want to, uh, pretty much straight away. I made the decision, but I want to dedicate my life to this area but um, I want to be in, in this area long term and because it does much as my skills but also I just thought it's such an interesting and interest entertaining area to be in like it's just fun Bitcoin is fun for me it, and there's nothing quite like it is there 
it is exactly it's not i mean you meet people like you know and sometimes very successful and we're doing kind of jobs in whatever it is you know like some kind of SaaS invoice software or whatever and it's all good and but it just like being in bitcoin it's like you i feel i'm part of a social movement it's more than just like a business uh, running an exchange it's more than a business it's being part of a movement and i think that's uh, yeah fulfilling and exciting and yeah there's just a lot of exciting interesting people in it a lot of exciting interesting things happening uh, it is kind of a bit of the wild west but that makes it fun <laughs> absolutely and, yeah that's yeah. It's where a lot of innovation seems to start, yeah. isn't it? Where it starts without structure, um, lots of testing and trial and error, and sometimes even breaking things. And then it becomes a bit clearer what the direction is. And of course, there's a bit more regulation that steps in yeah, to, yeah. to kind of cordon things as well. So it's it's probably at that very innovative and, and fun and a bit of a wild, wild west stage at the moment. True. Yeah, I think, I think everything, when there's a new kind of something big comes along in the early days, you look at it uh, and it's exciting. For, for example, the automotive industry or planes in the very earliest. Imagine being one of those people working on the earliest planes, just as that kind of technology was being re realized, you know. Um, but so that was also very exciting. So whenever you kind of at the ground floor of something that's growing and evolving and you can see it's going to be big, that's very exciting. It could be challenging too because we've seen probably the memes of saying, uh, don't sell your uh, your horse saddle for a car just yet because cars are very expensive and not that efficient. You know, old newspaper articles from a long time ago. And we're seeing very, very similar things about Bitcoin. Um, the fact there's maybe better technology or there will be better technology or it doesn't quite fix the old technology. Same as with the internet and um, can be a, an interesting place to work, I think, but also challenging sometimes too because of that pushback from the old legacy technology not wanting to, yeah. to let go. Yeah. yeah. Jeremy, how about yourself? So we, you gave a bit of your professional uh, background and, and how you got mm -hmm. into Hardblock. What, what led you to Bitcoin, um, I guess, more broadly? Yeah, well, a while ago, I think like a lot of people, I was looking for a way to not have to work full time. And uh, I dabbled in Forex trading, which I wouldn't recommend. <laughs> but because I was reading books on my Kindle about Forex trading, the algorithm started suggesting books about like the currency reset and explaining currencies. And I was like, that's interesting. So I started reading these books and I got quite into gold and silver um, and I understood the fiat currencies and hard money. And then in 2020, um, I still was spending a lot of time listening to gold podcasts and so on. And I, these guys would start talking a bit about Bitcoin. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. And I bought a little bit of Bitcoin thinking it, it was a speculative asset. Like it could go to zero. I'm willing to put in, I think it could go up, but it could go to zero. And then when PayPal announced that they were going to start uh, offering Bitcoin, um, that was like a really big moment for me where I was like, okay, this is big endorsement from someone. The chance of it going to zero now is a lot lower. And then I started researching it intensively. And um, I unfortunately read the Bitcoin standard a bit too late. If I'd read it earlier, I could have got in a bit earlier. But um, I read the Bitcoin standard and that was a really um, powerful um, argument for me around, because I understood the money history already and the way Safedan explains money, um, I just he's, he's probably got the best analysis I've seen on the history of money. And so it just became really clear to me that um, Bitcoin was going to be the new money. Technology is what made gold money, um, not just the gold itself and silver. And technology is what's going to make Bitcoin money. And so from that point forward, I've just been consuming a lot of content, coming to the meetups. And then, um, yeah, that's why I, I just really wanted to work in the space. 
Um, so that's kind of how I got here. Makes sense. And thank you both for, for giving a bit of your history and, and journey into Bitcoin. I'll, I'll try to sum up mine as well. And I guess um, I, my background is in business management in a state government department working in environmental management and heritage and sustainability. And that, that didn't really do it for me as I got about seven or eight years into that career. I just couldn't see myself being happy with it further down the track. And I felt like there was a few things wrong with the world that I wanted to, to try to directly uh, influence and, and maybe fix. And so I'd already had an interest in psychology. And so I retrained in psychology and became a psychologist. And, and that's what I still am now, uh, although I'm transitioning more and more into just Bitcoin focused work. And psychology in terms of what I do, I do a lot of clinical practice, so one-on-one therapy, as well as some uh, lecturing. However, I felt like I was scratching the surface with psychology where I wasn't allowed to talk about a lot of what I, I started to learn what was wrong with the world. And for a very long time in life, I couldn't figure out what was wrong with the world. I just knew that something was a bit broken and there was a lot of very strange outcomes in society. Um, and you can look at this in terms of how the, the economy functions or how we're just getting crippled by debt. Um, our dollar is devaluing, things are becoming more expensive. Politics seems more and more further removed from reality, at least in, in my perspective. And uh, once I started to learn a bit more about Bitcoin, which started off in 2017 just as a, hey, this thing seems like a good investment. It's going up really quickly. Maybe I should buy a very small amount of it just to hedge my bets. That prompted me to start learning a little bit more. And, um, you know, pretty iconic books like The Bitcoin Standard, which I only read around 2019 or something. So I, I came at that pretty late as well as well as mastering Bitcoin, which goes into a lot of the technicals of it. And listening to people like Alex Gladstein, who's the chief strategy officer of the Human Rights Foundation, as well as uh, Matt O'Dell and, and Marty Bent, who run a podcast called um, Tales from the Crypt. And uh, Matt O'Dell is very big in Bitcoin privacy and, and Marty Bent's very big in um, Bitcoin mining. And so hearing more about that kind of broad range of applications of you know privacy money, um, Bitcoin mining and having this great synergy with with energy, so being able to um, to improve our energy consumption um, efficiency, uh, even have you know better renewable infrastructure bootstrapped by Bitcoin mining. Um, some of that gets into the technicals of Bitcoin, which I won't go into now. But I think these things just sort of started to trigger my my thinking that you know maybe this is part of what's wrong with the world, or maybe this is a solution to to what's wrong with the world, and especially Alex Gladstein's writing, where he talks a lot about the humanitarian and environmental impacts of, of Bitcoin and um, the reason that things like the petrodollar or, or fiat currency, just like the dollar system, is, uh, is a little bit corrupt and a little bit broken. And that let me realize that th this is the thing I think that I've been waiting for throughout my life of trying to find out what, what is wrong with the world, what's the direction I can head in. Um, and that's putting something before myself. So, so working with a larger community, for an idea, you know, or a concept, and that's what really fascinates me about Bitcoin is because even even working with a, a Bitcoin group like Hardlock, for example, um, I do feel like I'm, I'm working for the company and and with you know you both. But at the same time, I feel like I'm working, and we're all working for Bitcoin. You know, our values mm -hmm. are very much aligned to this um, mm -hmm. greater good that we're trying to accomplish by securing the network, expanding the network, letting more people know about it, and making it easy for them to to utilize it essentially whether that's just mm. buying and holding bitcoin whether it's using it to, to transact um so i think that's that's what's really interested me in it and just to i guess bridge a little gap there that i probably missed out is i joined hardlock in um the end of uh 2021 just last year in november uh in terms of doing more education and marketing content 
And so that felt like a pretty good amalgamation of my past experience in psychology, my interest in Bitcoin, and you guys had the, the perfect ethos um, for me to join as well. So I think we're sort of making a good combination and, and we've got a lot of that passion for it. So I guess that covers our, our professional backgrounds, our journey into Bitcoin. I'm just curious because Bitcoin is a, is a very difficult thing to define and I think there's lots of layers to it and we've all come at that explanation from different angles as well. So you can almost see that there's, there's layers and different elements. It's kind of like a Venn diagram where there's lots of circles and they sort of overlap and in the middle there is Bitcoin. And it, it's a pretty simple question, I guess, what is Bitcoin? But I think the answer is more complicated. And um, what I'd like to do is just spend a bit of time if we can try to, to talk about what Bitcoin is and um, knowing that this isn't going to be perfect answer, but it might get people's, uh, you know, thinking going. Maybe to provide a bit of structure, I'll, I'll throw out some of the things that I think are what Bitcoin is, and sure. um, then we can just sort of riff off those ideas and, and add in whatever you feel is appropriate. So Bitcoin uh, to me is is hard money, which means, um, I guess in another way, it's it's better money or it's it's scarce money. It's money that is more likely to appreciate in value over time rather than lose its value like the dollar does. Some of the things which make Bitcoin hard or better money are the fact that it's scarce. So it has a fixed supply of 21 million. That supply is completely auditable and relatively easy to audit by the individual. Bitcoin is decentralized, which means it doesn't have intermediaries. So there's no Visa or MasterCard payment processes, banks, um, or even government intermediaries. You are working in a peer-to-peer -peer network with other users of the network. Because there are no intermediaries, it's permissionless, which means you don't have to ask anyone to join. Uh, and also, there's no censorship on the network. You can transact to whom you like, for what you like, for the amount you like, in the time frame that you like. And I guess that's the other part that makes it a bit revolutionary, is that you can send it essentially instantly, or at least very, very quickly, anywhere in the world, for a very low cost, 24-7. Anyone who's used a bank knows that that's a bit of a revolutionary idea. And to, to add a layer to that, it's an instant settlement. So there's no chargebacks, there's no refunds unless it's agreed between the two parties. And so those things make Bitcoin, in my mind, a, a better money, like a better cash, but also because of the scarcity, it makes it like a better gold in some ways too. So how I like to sum this up sometimes, it's like a digital gold and a digital cash. Um, Saifedean explains this in his recent book, The Fiat Standard, where he says gold is saleable across time because it's relatively scarce and, you know, in 100 years' time, it's still going to hold pretty good value. But he says it's not saleable across space very well. You know, transferring it back and forth to places is actually very difficult mm. because mm. gold's heavy, it needs, you know, security. However, fiat, so, so dollars were very good at saleable across space because it's much lighter. I mean, it's digital now, essentially. It's just bank transfers and, and, and you know, updating a ledger or a spreadsheet. But Bitcoin is both of those things. Bitcoin is saleable across time and saleable across space, which makes it just that extra level. And of course, once you remove the intermediaries and the controlling parties, it becomes even more profound. So in my mind, that's, that's a lot of what Bitcoin is when we talk about the asset of Bitcoin. Any any thoughts around that? Yeah, I think because um, to me, Bitcoin is money, which sounds very simple. But the thing is, our current dollars, like our Australian dollars, are not money because they're not a store of value. So that's actually a huge uh, improvement over what we already have. And then if you look at gold, like for the past, say, 200 years, 
basically societies have used gold and fiat currencies. Those have been the two competing sources of money. But with gold, it becomes centralized and then you're trusting that central authority that they have it. And uh, for example, the United States gold reserves, I think they haven't been audited since maybe the 50s. Mm. So the point you said about being able to audit um, and run your own node and uh, be in control, I think that's that's like really key. I think I would recommend that to anyone to try and run their own node. That's kind of the key of Bitcoin. But money that, as you said, is scarcer than gold, but that you can anyone can audit, um, it's just incredibly powerful. But you do need to kind of go back and look through history and say, what is the money we have now to appreciate just how um, how well Bitcoin solves some of those problems that we've seen in the past? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we're kind of all on the same page here, more or less. Um, I, I agree with most of voice points that you said. And yeah, I mean, for me, it, it, as Jeremy said, it is money and... Um, uh, again, I, I look at it as an efficient way to tra transfer. One of, one of the most efficient ways to transfer value over space, time, and at different scales. It does that combination of those three things better than any other sort of money. That what makes it better money. And, Very true. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that's it. I think just to, to expand on that as well, you know, we talk a lot about Bitcoin, the asset, which is, I think, where most of us come into Bitcoin as the, the investment and, you know, holding Bitcoin and then maybe even spending Bitcoin, which makes it that digital cash, digital gold. But it's also a network. And what I find really fascinating is that I feel like maybe a, the next wave of Bitcoin adoption and people understanding Bitcoin relates to the network features that it has. So uh, like Jack Marler's, some of the work that he's doing of using Bitcoin as a payment rails where you don't even need to actually hold Bitcoin and the person that you're sending money to doesn't need to then take Bitcoin. It can all be in, say, US dollars or Australian dollars or even back and forth between those two. And they use the, the Bitcoin network itself because it's permissionless, settled instantly. Mm. Um, you can use it 24-7 and anywhere in the world. So I think those kind of implementations uh, are really mind-blowing. You know, there's a lot of new emerging technology, so there's obviously no promises here about what exactly will come out. But I've seen some really interesting hackathons with uh, a company called Impervious AI, who's building on several layers on top of Bitcoin to make things like phone calls possible over Bitcoin. There's already things like uh, messaging and podcasting apps that use the Bitcoin network. It's actually a, a second layer on top of the Bitcoin network called Lightning, which maybe isn't okay. too important to define right now. But I think what I'm getting at here is that the network and and the capacity or the functionality that you can build on top of that network, I think we're only just now scratching the surface. <laughs> and we see it as digital gold and digital cash, but the Bitcoin network itself, you know, so many things can be built on that. And that's, that's pretty incredible. And I think it, it probably is a bit of an unsung thing at the moment, but over the next few years, we'll probably see a lot more of that. Yeah, and we'll hopefully see more of Lightning Network, which is actually, I somewhat diverge from a lot of kind of Bitcoin maximalists about this, where some of them don't think that using Bitcoin for just payment, um, they don't think it should be used as payment at all. And I think for me, I actually think it is important. I think both these things, store of value and using as a payment, they're both needed for money. Um, and I believe that's going to, obviously right now, the main use for Bitcoin has been as a store of value. But 
for me, it's always very exciting buying for things with Bitcoin. And I believe that with the Lightning Network, that's going to happen more and more. And actually, I believe it is important. And I try to use Bitcoin for payment whenever I can. And it's very fun to do. <laughs> Absolutely. And it, it stimulates that circular economy with the uh, the base yeah. money, doesn't it? Because I know yeah. there is a push at the moment where people are saying Bitcoin is your savings account and then dollars yeah. are, are your checking or your spending account. So you can spend in dollars and you save in Bitcoin and just transfer back and forth between depending on the, yeah. the ratio that you need. However, I, I agree with you. And I think that might be just an intermediary step um, to, to get people on board and to get people used to it. But hopefully, uh, and I know how I use it, it'll be saving in Bitcoin, but also spending in Bitcoin. And if I spend in yeah. Bitcoin, then I can replace it by buying more. So the whole spend yeah, and exactly. replace model. Exactly. Yeah, you can always spend and replace. And I think uh, part of the uh, reason why people kind of shy away from the using Bitcoin for spending right now is in the early days, people tried it quite a bit. And uh, they tried to do the secular economy, but it never really took off. But because it didn't take off three or four years ago doesn't mean it's not going to take off in two or three years. Now we have better technology, we have more adoption. So I think it, it will still, I think those previous attempts of on creating a circular economy were just too early. But I think it still will happen. That's true. There was a lot of FUD as well, I noticed, where people would say Satoshi Nakamoto, the pseudonymous inventor of Bitcoin, in the white paper, he calls it a cash system. So it shouldn't be a store of value. Yeah. And then some people say, but if you look at all, his, all, all of his forum posts, he says it should be a store of value like digital gold. Yeah. And so there's been yeah. some fights over the last almost 13 years about which one of those things it should be or should it be either at all. And I think even some of those conceptions will, will stop people spending it because they believe it's meant to be something else. Um, but I think as time goes on, we get further and further removed and it almost doesn't matter too much what Satoshi wrote about it. It's more so like what we're going to, to do with it. And it's able to do both of those things. I want to maybe just uh, throw out one more thing because I know a common question that comes up when we talk about things like digital gold or, or digital cash and Bitcoin is people will say, well, what about other currencies? There's over 10,000 other cryptocurrencies. And why, why wouldn't it be one of them? What makes it so different? And, and to me, uh, maybe a couple of points that I just want to um, bring home is that Bitcoin had, in quotations, an, an immaculate conception. So it has a pseudonymous inventor who stepped away from the project after a couple of years and he's left it to the community to develop. And he hasn't gotten any real social credit or any profit from developing Bitcoin, which is pretty incredible. There's, there's not a lot of that. I can't think of any other case of that in the mm. world in history, in fact. But the other part is that there, is, there was no pre-mine. So when he released Bitcoin, there was not any set amount that he got to, to keep and then use. Whereas when you look at other cryptocurrencies, that's essentially how they are set up. They're not a pseudonymous inventor. It's, it's a team of people with vested interests. They usually reward themselves, which are a pretty large amount of the coins, the tokens to begin with, without having to, to work for the network and, and mine new coins, which is how it would work in Bitcoin um, in, in, conversely. So with Bitcoin, people need to expend energy and, and use very specialized hardware to secure the network and they get rewarded in Bitcoin. But other cryptocurrencies, that's not so much the case. And so I think it's important that people realize, even though there might be other claims that things can do what Bitcoin does, um, it's quite different in terms of how they came about. And they're more building on Bitcoin's success and trying to take advantage of Bitcoin's success rather than actually building mm. something in addition to it or providing uh, mm. like a free or a fair bootstrap of the network like Bitcoin did. 
I think, you know, for new people coming in, and this was, you know, my journey, like I spent a lot of time researching cryptos and I, I believed all those stories that they said that, you know, Bitcoin is the future of gold, I guess, but other cryptos are the future of everything like, you know, video streaming and smart contracts and everything like that. But it's only when you start looking into the technical details that you can see that they all have uh, either the pre-mine issue or flawed designs in the way that they, um, how much data they use. The key to Bitcoin from my perspective is how little data it uses and therefore how easy it is to run a node. And that's what keeps it decentralized. There's something like 50,000 nodes at the moment. Um, so trying to, no one can shut that down. But a lot of the, the um, big altcoins, they try to do too much on their blockchains and they generate way too much data, which means that you can't, um, you can't run your own node at home on it unless you have very specialized equipment. And that will result in the future in those, um, in those blockchains becoming centralized, which is exactly the thing Bitcoin is trying to avoid. So yeah, it's, it, they have very good narratives and they have very good big marketing budgets, which Bitcoin doesn't. And so people can get sucked in. But when you start to look at the technical, um, you know, the way they're technically designed, you can see straight away that um, they're all going to become centralized. And then, you know, if they threaten the government currencies, the government will shut them down. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point as well that you raised about how just the technology of Bitcoin, when you look into the technicals of it, you start to realize the differences between them. But for me, you also realize where Bitcoin came from. And a lot of people see Bitcoin as new technology. And so the next logical thought is that we should be continuing to, to try to find the newer technology, that the next thing. However, Bitcoin's not really new technology. It, parts of it are, but a lot of it isn't. You know, A lot of it has come from the cypherpunk movement and the crypto wars, technology that's been worked on, like encryption technology, um, you know, proof of work technology that's been going since the the early seventies, and even though Bitcoin has pulled a lot of that together and added a couple of extra pieces, like say the difficulty adjustment, that it's probably worthwhile recognizing that it's about fifty years of development there that we've got so far. It's not something new that we now need to revolutionize and make it a newer one. Um, and in fact, that's it's probably not possible at this point. It's such a, a revolutionary jump, like the internet. Um, it is already solving the problems that it set out to solve. Yeah, and I think hmm. that what you just said there, solving problems is key. So when I studied engineering, they, they train you to think about like, what is the problem you're solving? You know, for example, um, we have much better plane technology than, we, than the ones that we take around Australia. You know, hmm. those planes are basically the same as what they were in the 60s. Um, and no one is saying, oh, well, we're not going to use these planes because there's going to be much better ones coming. Um, because the better ones... They have trade-offs. So you can fly really fast if you've got a lot of money and you've got mm. a lot of fuel. But if you want to fly to you know, Melbourne from Adelaide in, for 100 bucks, then you've got to go on the technology that's been around for 60 years. And the same with Bitcoin. Bitcoin solves a specific set of problems and it's made some trade-offs to do that. The altcoins make different trade-offs. And the thing mm. they always trade off is decentralization because by doing that, they can do other stuff. They can do faster transactions. They can do more complex stuff. So... It's, it's, you can't just say, oh, well, this better technology until you define the problem. And <clears throat> the, the problem that Bitcoin is trying to solve, I think we're all really aligned to, which is centralized governments always debase currencies. And that has really negative impacts on society. So once you kind of take that view, it just seems so obvious that Bitcoin is the yeah. way that you have to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that. Yeah, Bitcoin, the, the problem of uh, money, good money and store value the technology in Bitcoin is the best for solving that problem. 
Absolutely. And it's probably reassuring for people to know that some of these considerations like should we have faster transactions on the base layer? Um, should we have each block take up more data? Things that some of the new cryptocurrencies, the more centralizing cryptocurrencies are trying to do, that debate's already been had in Bitcoin. It's not like Bitcoin didn't mm. consider those things and now is just barreling ahead with the original plan. Around 2016 and 2017, during the block size wars, there was it was a very big debate and there was a lot of money that went into marketing um, to try to say we should increase the block size of Bitcoin. That way we can have more transactions, faster transactions and reward the miners more. However, users decided that wasn't the way they wanted to go. They wanted the network to remain decentralized. They wanted blocks to be relatively small so you can run a node at home rather than having to do it on, say, like a, a cloud-based service, which is very centralizing. And so that it's already been considered. And when we sometimes get a lot of marketing saying that, uh, say, like a proof of stake or a new cryptocurrency is improving upon Bitcoin, I think it's just useful for any any new users to realize that that's already come and gone in terms of the debate. The technicals have already been hashed out and um, you know, the long-term trajectory of Bitcoin has already been looked at and tried to, to be protected by keeping it more decentralized. Again, you know, simple question, right? But it's a pretty complex answer and, and there's a lot of things that we haven't even touched on in terms of mining and the impacts in the environment. But I don't think that it's probably really necessary to go into all that now. That gives people probably a decent chunk to bite off in terms of what is Bitcoin the asset, what is Bitcoin the network, what does it solve in, in terms of uh, government oversight, government money printing, you know, inflation. So that's probably a nice amount for users to um, to start with. Is there is there anything else that you guys wanted to, to make as a final comment on that topic? I think just one point, especially <clears throat> if you're new to Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is decentralized, there was a founder, but he's since stepped back. There's no like uh, media team um, that is putting articles out in the mass media or um, defending Bitcoin. So a lot of um, companies that <clears throat> maybe want Bitcoin to fail put out articles and press releases that uh, say negative things about Bitcoin. And there's no one in Bitcoin who is you know defending that and suing them for defamation. So there's kind of this culture has arisen where um, a lot of negative uh, media articles come out in the press. And so if your only uh, exposure to Bitcoin is through mainstream media, you're getting a very skewed um, view of Bitcoin. So try and um, yeah, find alternative sources of, uh, to look into, you know, such as the Bitcoin Standard, which is the book that has convinced a lot of people, rather than just reading what you, um, you know, what you find in the mainstream media. Absolutely. Michael Saylor, who has something like 120,000 Bitcoin at this point at uh, his company MicroStrategy, and he owns a lot of it personally. He's a big proponent for Bitcoin, and I'm sure if you get into Bitcoin, you'll hear him talk at some point. But he says if you do about a thousand hours, you'll start to really understand what Bitcoin is, and you'll really start to see through the smokescreen of media, whether it's mainstream or whether it's marketing from um, alternative competing cryptocurrencies, which are not really alternative or competing, but they portray themselves as such. And I think a thousand hours is a lot, obviously, but keep that in mind. If you if you feel like you understand Bitcoin, you've spent a few hours on it, but then you feel like you found the new Bitcoin by hearing a really good marketing ploy, I think just ask yourself, have I done the thousand hours yet? And if I haven't, maybe don't make my decision yet. Keep researching Bitcoin, keep going down that rabbit hole and all the tangent rabbit holes. And I think most people will come to the same conclusion that we have. Any other final comments, Daniel? Um, not really, just about the podcast. Um, yeah, we hope um, that 
this would be a very like good source. It's ex exciting for us to do, and yeah, we hope that uh, that it will provide a lot of value for educating people about Bitcoin. Uh, that's what we hope to do. And uh, yeah, I mean, we all we all love like teaching people about Bitcoin. We love talking about Bitcoin. We want to help people learn and understand with about Bitcoin. And um, yeah, I hope people get value from it. True. Me too. And I, I guess that's probably a good point to wrap up. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Please like, share, subscribe if you enjoyed the content. And please let us know in the comments or reach out to us on Twitter. Our handle is hardblockbtc, all one word, hardblockbtc. If you've got any feedback or any content requests, we're more than happy to hear them. Thanks, and until next time.